I got into this because I'd had enough. I was fed up, but I got to put my words into action because I felt that at that moment when I spoke to the Board of Supervisors, there was millions of people listening. As I've sort of become a leader in this movement, I've realized that people want nothing more than to get on board to get their freedom back. If my voice gets heard and helps people, then this has all been well worth it. If my kids have a better America to live in, then this is absolutely worth it. I really don't like this stuff. I never wanted to be part of a production or a movie or, you know, I'd rather be out in the fields fighting somebody. This is the way that we fight. If this is the way that we inspire uh, people to move forward and, and to come on board with us, you know, for the win, then I'll be here. So. My fellow Americans. It is time to take our freedom back. Another beautiful day. Yeah. Another good day to be alive. It's warm out and I'm wearing a sweatshirt. Started off the day cold and I just never took it off, you know. But <laughs> too busy to take it off. I've had I just days get that like way, that. you know. Just get going. You know, yeah. it's fine. Sweat yeah. a little bit. Yeah. We have a special guest here today. Retired major, Mr. Will Osten. And I'm so excited. I've seen your name on emails and messages and we've been in contact we've been working so closely over the last you know six months and yeah, man. now i'm like dude we get to meet in person and i'm excited <laughs> yeah, to ask awesome. you to pick your brain and uh to see what you've been doing and then how uh how what we've been doing kind of ties into that so absolutely so we're excited to have you thanks for coming uh, thanks brother it's great to be here in person good deal first time to the north state no i've been here before but it's been years like yeah. pre-military so probably like 15 years ago okay so, yeah. so where's home for you originally uh, I grew up in Connecticut, right outside New York City. My dad was in Manhattan on 9-11. He worked there over 12 oh, wow. years. Okay. So don't hold it against me. I'm a Yankee Northern. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's okay. We won't. We're not sure what we are out here. We, we you, know? welcome all, you welcome all kinds in Northern <laughs> yeah. California. Yeah. I, I, live in, I live in South Carolina now, and they can tell. I don't really have a strong New York accent, but they can tell I'm not from the South. Hey, Yank. And it, it instantly, I can tell they're like, we don't, we're not sure about this guy. Isn't that funny? How, where are you from? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. They, they have a special code of how they know. Yeah. They, they just know. Yeah. You know? So tell us a little bit about yourself uh, for the viewers out there. Yep. Tell us uh, a little bit about your background, what you're doing now, what sure. you're going to be doing here in the future. Yeah. So um, I'll talk about uh, why I joined and then Arca Justice, if that's sure. okay. Absolutely. Um, so when 9-11 happened, I had just gotten married uh, in July of that year. And so everybody was telling me, don't join the wars because they'll be over with by the time you get through boot camp. Yeah. Because, you know, the Gulf War, which was over in a couple months, sure. that, that was the template. So I ended up going to law school at Pepperdine in Malibu. and uh, it's a real crappy place. Yeah, somebody's got to suffer there <laughs> in law school. And, of course, like, the war is not over. 2003, we invade Iraq. 
And then uh, Pat Tillman was killed in action in 2004. And that that was the watershed moment for me because I was like, okay, you know, I'm a young man. I'm here in Malibu, living the good life, have enjoyed all the blessings of liberty. And then this guy gave up a $3.2 million contract to join the Army Rangers for $20,000 a year. Yeah. So I'm like, what am I doing? So I was, I was convicted, and I decided as soon as I graduate from law school, I'm going to join the Army. And so that's what I did. So I joined the Army JAG Corps. I actually uh, did apply to the Marine Corps. I know you're a Marine Corps veteran. Yeah. And they were like, we don't have any slots. And I was like, what? Yeah. So I think yeah. I just couldn't do enough pull-ups or something. Sure. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but I but I joined, and I only intended to serve for three years. But I loved being a soldier. Sure. And uh, I didn't really care so much about getting into the courtroom. A lot of Army JAGs joined because you get to become a federal prosecutor right away. Mm -hmm. and throw you in instead of making you wait for five years. But I wanted to go to war. And so I did sure. get to. Like Within a year, I was with 10th Mountain Division Light Infantry in Baghdad. Served as an operational international law attorney there. Fast forward, I got selected to be a special forces JAG uh, in Kandahar, Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And that's where I was exposed to something called an environmental toxin. And it triggered a really nasty autoimmune illness mm -hmm. that went undiagnosed for several years. So again, and I'm going over a lot of stuff here, but yeah, I want to talk about no, it. No, we're listening. This is great. Podcast. So uh, in 2016... Uh, I broke out four different times in like leprous skin lesions all over my body, some wow. of the most sensitive places. So uh, the doctors originally thought I had AIDS because it was like that bad, looked that wow. bad. I uh, went to a specialist who had studied Middle Eastern born illnesses, and he took one look at all the lesions, and he said, you have Bichette's disease. I'd never heard of that. Yeah. Um, so it's basically a blood-based rheumatological disorder that causes like all kinds of just terrible, terrible symptoms. So I was supposed to deploy for a third time with um, 4th Infantry Division from Colorado, but instead the Army sent me to Walter Reed, uh, Fort Belvoir, mm -hmm. like hospitals to mm -hmm. get treatment. And that's where the Arca Justice story begins, gentlemen, because um, I went to uh, get treatment at Johns Hopkins as well, mm -hmm. and a new bureaucratic agency had been created by Congress on January 1st, 2018 called Defense Health Agency. And I was diagnosed with Bichette's disease on January 2nd of 2018. Let me, let me ask yeah, yeah. One, one thing real quick before yeah, yeah. I forget. So Please is, do. Is it a disease that was pre-existing or was just sparked by something that happened in Afghanistan? No. Or something that you Yeah, acquired? no, not at all. That's a great question. Yeah. So, no, I was exposed to something in Afghanistan, mm -hmm. an environmental toxin that that gave that, me that, the that disease. So either like the burn pits there, sure. you know, or goat bad goat stew, yeah. you know, tea with the travel, sure. you know, whatever. They don't know. Sure. Um, but it wasn't pre-existing. Yeah. Um, I was a very healthy military elite athlete before sure. that. So, and uh, all right. So met with this defense health agency bureaucrat and I was supposed to get up to a year to get treatment and get healthy. And she kicked me out right away, started the process. So I went to meet with her. I'm like, hey, I'm a JAG attorney. Like I know I'm supposed to get up to a year. Sure. And, uh, you know, so she looked at me and she's like, no, you've, you've had three years. I'm like, no, check it out in your system. So she did. And she goes, oh, you're right. You haven't had up to a year. I made a math mistake. So I'm like, great. Yeah. Then disenroll me. And this is exactly what she said. She said, I'm not going to do that. And I said, why? And she says, because I say so, you're just a number to me. And so what had happened is in the beginning of 2018 with Defense Health Agency taking mm -hmm. this over, like all of us who had served since 9-11, there's less than one half, 1% of us who have fought the nation's wars because there's no draft. Mm -hmm. They tried to keep all of us in. But then in 2018, Secretary of Defense Mattis passed the deployer get out policy. Mm -hmm. And that said, if you're not healthy with anything with up to a year to deploy. Which they've been trying to do that out. for a long time. I'm trying to do that, it for a long time. Yeah. So I'm not going to get into like the veracity or the wisdom of that policy. Like I understand what sure. they're doing. But the Defense Health Agency weaponized it. So now, 
from like George Washington's Continental Army, 1775, until yeah. 2018, yeah. so 245 years of unbroken military tradition, mm -hmm. wounded warriors were managed by military commanders. Yeah. So then in 2018, now we have civilian bureaucrats from Defense Health Agency. Mm -hmm. And so that I was the tip of the spear for that. They don't care about us. You know, military commander, what does he do? He A good one cares about sure, his troopers, sure. you know? Defense Health Agency medical bureaucrats, they don't give a damn about us. So I was kind of the tip of the spear for that. I fought for 20 months. <clears throat> And lost my battle, you know, to to fight for that year to get healthy and stand mm -hmm. active duty, and so I just realized at the end of that, okay, if they're doing this to me as a Jack Corps major who had served as a general's aide for three different generals, graduated from a tier one law school, and had a special ops background, what are they doing to the nineteen-year-old private? Sure, he has no hope. No so that's why I founded Arc of Justice as a nonprofit organization. Uh, so we launched on Veterans Day 2019, uh, Shannon Bream, Fox News at Night. Uh, she allowed us to launch nationally on her show. Mm -hmm. And since then, I've represented 52 clients, all pro bono, who have gone through what I've gone through. And then we're also trying to pass something called the Wounded Warrior Bill of Rights. Uh, so yeah. we're very close to that, House Resolution 6043. And my goal with that is if we can pass that, then it returns authority back to the military from Defense Health Agency and also builds in additional due process protections for the wounded warriors. And then honestly, guys, so if that passes, hopefully by the end of this year, yeah. then I'm going to shut down Arc of Justice or repurpose it. So it's like a mission complete campaign plan. And that's it. And then do something else. Yeah, I'm not, I don't want to be around. Like success for me is shutting down Arc of Justice sure. and going away well, and doing something fantastic. else in my life. Yep. So so tell me a little bit about this Wounded Warrior Bill of Rights. What's it encompass? What are we looking at here? What are we yeah, um, so there's, there's two prongs to it. I mean, it's five pages of legislation that quotes like past United States code mm -hmm. and all that stuff. But when you strip it away, mm -hmm. It really just does two things, and it's like I talked about. It returns authority back to military commanders, so it strips Defense Health Agency. Yeah. And I'm not even touching. So, guys, just so you know, like Defense Health Agency, it's a beast. Yeah. It's a $50 billion annually budgeted bureaucracy with over 10,000 employees. Jesus. <laughs> so they created that never the, existed that never existed before 2018. So Congress, like in the early 2010s, passed legislation in the National Defense Authorization Act creating DHA, and so now it's this new 50 billion dollar beast every year with over 10,000 employees. Built and sold as something that's going to create a better service. It, exactly, men. Yeah. So, so nobody says no to that. Oh, that sounds great. That's going to be better service. So, better know? service yeah. for our veterans. Sure, yeah. let's yep. do that. Yeah, it's not. And that and that's what it was. It, so I think and part of the argument was. Well, we don't want like military combat commanders in charge of like our hospitals and military treatment facilities because mm -hmm. they don't know medicine. Well, they might not know medicine, but, but they, they know, know leadership and yeah. people. Yeah. You know, so now we have like these uncaring medical bureaucrats in charge of us and they don't care sure. and they have all the power. So I went all the way well, up. It's to like the when you call your insurance. Yeah. Yeah. Do they have any person. tie? To the VA or? No, no tie to the VA. So this is like an active duty Department of Defense problem. So this is like before we get to the VA. But all of the military service branches don't have any power over DHA because they have like a separate well, there used line to be of like authority. Warrior Battalion, you know? In, exactly. In Corps, you know? Ex exactly. Yeah. Yep. And so now like those WTBs, Warrior Transition mm -hmm. Battalions, all that yeah. stuff you're talking about, they don't have power. Like they still process the guys, mm -hmm. but it's the DHA bureaucrats making power. And so if a military commander has the authority to send their soldier or Marine into harm's way where they can lose life, limb, or eyesight, mm -hmm. then they need to also manage them when they become a wounded warrior. Absolutely. You know, not, yeah. it's, it's yeah. like a simple problem. So that's what we're trying to fix with the authority thing. And then also just build in additional due process protections because there's so many great leaders in the military, but you do occasionally get that like one bad leader, that toxic leader, you know. Mm -hmm. And so if a soldier wounded warrior does get that person, then they still have additional due process protections. So, sure. um, 
So yeah, it's it's a great it's a great cause. That's it's a frustrating fight, brother. It you know, is. I'm, I'm glad you're doing yeah. it, and, and it needs to be done. But anytime you're dealing with that kind of bureaucracy, and, and it feels like so insurmountable at the time, because it, you're it dealing does. with, like you said, tens of thousands of people, and you're dealing with uh, billions of dollars, fifty billion dollars annually. Holy so where smokes. was that? I'm, I'm wondering where that workload, like, if if you ramp up that big of a department, where did that workload lie before that? You, on the, can on the, you talk on the, to that on like, the military services? So, so they were so they, the 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 military services like had the programs, you know, like what he's talking about the Warrior Transition Battalion, you know, it they already just like did it, you know, and then it all got taken away from them. So and, there was job loss on that side of things too. It, it wasn't necessarily job no, loss. It was what, just what, take something off the plate of the active duty folks. What, what they were doing is pulling it from different MOSs. You know, yeah. so I have a buddy who was a battalion commander with with the Warrior Battalion on the East Coast, and then they have the West Coast Battalion as well. And, you know, we've always said Marines take care of Marines, soldiers take care of soldiers, you know, exactly. and, and so on and so forth, you know. Yep. I mean, who knows the system better? Who knows that person better? They've brought them up. They've raised them. They've taken care of them. they fought with them. It's so like you're saying, man, let, let's see them all the way through until they're out of the Marine Corps, and hopefully after, or out of the service, right. you know. Yeah. Um, and this is something that I know has been brought up over and over again over the years, you know, is how, how do we take this generation of warriors and make sure that not only are they transitioning into society, but that we're taking care of them once they're out there, you yep. know, and this service after the sale type of mentality. And I hope we can get there because we need it. Because I think we're going to end up with <clears throat> problems down the road, you know, that we're not seeing maybe right. Or we're That's starting right. to see right now, you know, because this, right. this is 20 years old now. Yep. You know, so now we're starting to see some of the problems that we thought would or might come to fruition, come to fruition. So No, that's exactly right, brother. And so I, I say... The Ark of Justice mission, the Wounded Warrior Bill of Rights, is preventative medicine for veterans. Sure. So, like, we're trying to like give them the best chance to get whole and healthy in that year of transition before they go and become veterans and before they go back out into civilian life. Sure. So, there's over 55,000 veterans and military-related nonprofits in America, mm-hmm. and so what we're trying to do actually makes their job easier yeah. if we're successful. Sure. So, yeah, and as we're talking about, so I think a big thing for people that are listening out there. We've had this conversation over and over again, over beers, over coffee, over over things. Now I say that the best thing that we can do for these veterans is to get them jobs. Yep. You know, when when they're going out in a society feeling like they're broken, believing that they're broken pieces of gear, gear yeah. they can't do anything anymore, and right? just want to collect a check. This is where we're starting to see the suicide rates rise. Right. This is where we're starting to see uh, depression. This is where I see marriages break up. You know, and, and and it's it's horrible. You know, so if we can get to the point where we can say, look, you know. Just because you, you're you were a damaged piece of gear here doesn't mean that you're gonna come out damaged. And, and now, not only that, but we believe in you so much that we're gonna get you to transition into a job that fits you, that you like, that you feel like you can actually support your family with, you know, feel confident about. You know, yeah. um, I know that's a whole different side of this 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 conversation, but it's always been something that I have to think about. Where why don't we look for these young men and employ them because they're usually responsible, hardworking, mature. You know. Yeah. No, I, and, I and couldn't women. agree more. Yeah, and I mean, you know, veterans, combat veterans, especially have like so much to contribute to civilian life. I mean, because of the leadership skills, if you can lead in combat, you can lead anywhere. If you can lead under the stress of combat, you or, can add a lot. Or, or follow in combat. That's know? right. That's Even right. If you're a young man, you know, yeah. maybe didn't get a leadership uh, billet or, or, or a choice. I mean, be able to go out there and say, look, I've been under insurmountable stress. I've been yeah. able to succeed. I've been able to make decisions and, and help the team, you yep. know? So yeah, uh, I, have, I have a little brother that he's a, he's, he's high up in a, in a corporation. They've got like 800 employees, you know, and yeah. he's, He's like the number three or four guy, and they send him to these leadership conferences, mm-hmm. these big high-dollar fancy, sure. and he always goes back to the fact that I, I already knew all that stuff from being an NCO <laughs> right. in the Marines. You <laughs> right. know? He really did. Yeah. He attributes it's, it's it to true. 
So. It yeah. really is. You talk about leadership and you talk about servant leadership and that's something that we've gotten away from and our government needs to realize again, you know, leadership is nothing if you're not serving the people that you're leading. Uh, and, and I wish that there was a cultural change within our government because it, and this has been our fight. I mean, we're, we're talking about why we're doing what we're doing is because we have leaders who forgot that they are servants right. to the people. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's got completely, uh, you know, turned upside down now to now we get a phone number from, you know, some bureaucracy in the government and, and we're shaking like, oh shoot, man, you know, like what's going to happen? Am I going to go to jail? Am I, you know, oh, yeah. who do I owe money to, you know? And, and it should never be that way. I think right. there needs to be a complete cultural change in this country. Yeah. And hopefully this is what we're a part of, you know, it starts with things like what you're doing and what yeah. we're doing. So, yeah. Well, it's, Will, so, so when you get, when you complete this mission, what have you thought down the road? What, what's what next? you'd want to tackle next? Yeah, yeah. what's next? So, um, you know, some people have encouraged me to uh, start doing some writing in defense of America's history because, uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there who just seem to, like, hate America in the last couple of years, you know, the 1619 Project and some other oh, man, other yeah. garbage. Um, so I've started to, like, write some 1,500-word, like, op-eds, you know. Um, and so some people have said, hey, why don't you transition Arc of Justice instead of Advocates for Wounded Warriors you do the tagline, you know, like restoring America's promise or recovering America's dream or something like that. And then just start writing and speaking on the greatness of America. That's one of my favorite topics to speak about and going back to the history and wisdom of our founding fathers. I may do that, but honestly, like I don't like the nonprofit world <laughs> very yeah. much, you know, like trying to raise money. I'm it's just tough like, asking it's, people it's, for it's money. tough asking it, it people really for money. Is. I don't like it. So I have started an official uh, business, an LLC leadership consulting company uh, out of the state of Tennessee. Cause we might end up moving there. Um, and I've got some great contacts there, but uh, it's called Deanna keys action group. And I'll explain that in a minute. I've asked all like all my business advisors. Nobody knows who Deanna Keys is, mm-hmm. and so I should I name it that or something like resilient leadership? I know he's who like, he is. He's like you know, no, you know who he is. No, oh, yeah, yeah. Right, so I, I do. do. Come on, dude. you do. You got it. It's just it's just it's the Greek name. So you're like, how do you even pronounce it? I read it for how long? Is that? <laughs> Look, it's, so it's yeah. actually it's, in the shade, man. Are you serious? Yeah. All right. So yeah, come yeah. on, Woody. Don't steal my thunder, bro. <laughs> All right, so well, uh, Deanna, Keys. Deanna Keys. That was one of the best ones. <laughs> yeah, okay. So he said yeah. Deanna Keys. I was like, Deanna Keys. Who's, Deanna, who, who's Deanna Keys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, look at yeah, yeah. No, no, Deanna. What are you talking about, well, man? And <laughs> yeah. why? Our, our Greek friends, you know, they tell me like it's pronounced Deanna Keys. You know, so yeah. it's like actually T H instead of and spelled with a D. But anyways, you're gonna love this, man. So the Greek historian Herodotus, you know, we all know the Battle of Three Hundred. So when the yep. Gates of Fire, man. So when the uh, scouts went out uh, from the 300 and they came back, they said, hey, you guys got to retreat because the Persian archers are so numerous that their arrows are going to block out the sun. And so Theanakes was the one who said, yeah. good, then we'll yeah. fight in the shade. Yeah. So Herodotus says he's the bravest of the 300, even more so than Leonidas. You know, He records that. So I was like, all right, if I'm going to start a leadership consulting firm, I want to take on clients who feel overwhelmed, you know, whether it's in their business or I mean, that's why I took on RWB, you sure. know, because you guys were getting bullied sure. by the FPPC and we're fighting in the shade, man. You're fighting <laughs> in the shade. And so, so my, you know, and I've got some very, very, you know, wealthy and successful guys advising me and they're like, keep the name, the name, once they hear the story, the name says everything yeah. about what your leadership consultant so, so, so not Deanna Keys. No, thank you. you. No. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at you like, dude, what are you talking about, man? He's like, you know, I'm like, I'm not no Deanna. That's fantastic. No, there's no so, Deanna. So I do want to touch on something for a second because you, you talked about this briefly about 
this hatred of America in our history, yeah, yeah. you know, and why that's been propagated, why it continues to be propagated, not only in the media, and we can blame the media all we want, but now we just know who they are, you know, but, yep. but in our schools, you know, right. from the time where kids right. are old enough to open a book, they're, they're right. being bombarded by this anti-American sentiment. Yeah. History is bad. You know, founding fathers are bad. You know, Columbus these, is these, bad. These ideas Everybody's are bad. bad. Everybody's yeah. bad. Yep. So, number one, can we change that? And how, how do we change it, you know? I mean, is it something that we can actually change? And I think yes. I think we can. Yeah. You know, I, I think we start getting historians who, who are writing true history, mm-hmm. you know, and who are unapologetic about our history. Yep. You know, and I think that's really important too. I mean, there's I've talked about Howard's in before and how I used to read a lot of Howard's and he, yeah. he's a communist, you know, and terrible, socialist, you know. But I was always fascinated with the way that he wrote and the way that he, you know, he, he approached yes his history. You know, he's actually, a great storyteller. He is. You know, I actually yep. went and saw him speak. You know, and no, I was not no young communist, or young socialist. You know, but but I was kind of fascinated with the guy. You know, yep. I learned a lot about how I wanted to approach history based on what, what he was saying. Yeah, you know. Um, so you have these people that have sort of hijacked the curriculum in schools yep. and, and the entire educational system. How do we take that back? How do we say, hey, look, we're just as smart, just as articulate. Um, we, we can show you why the, these evils were necessary. No, yeah. no, we're not going to say, no, that was never committed. Sure, but this is where we are now, and this is why we're here now, because of things that happened. How, well, how do we... And, and the whole point of, you know, you can't apply modern-day political correctness no. to what was going on 300 years ago when that's it was normal thinking, across right? the world. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll throw my five cents in on sure. why I think the pendulum's going to swing the other way because um, this leftist woke garbage um, has been has hijacked everything from art, music, the media, the entertainment, you name it. And, and people naturally want to rebel against sure. people that tell you how to think and how to live and every control every aspect of your life. So it's just a it's a natural rebellion against this totalitarian crap that they're cramming down our throat everywhere you turn, everywhere you go, and that's why I think the pendulum is going to swing the other well, way. And I, I'm just a little bit older than you guys, just old enough to remember uh, Jimmy Carter mm-hmm. and when that four years I was a kid. So he got elected when I was ten years old, and uh, it was funny because we took a the teacher took like a little fake election in the class, you know, and I came home from there and I said, yeah, so the teacher told me about the candidates. I voted for Jimmy Carter today. And my dad's like, what? But anyway, so, but anyway, those four, that the seventies and then capping it off with Jimmy Carter, I I was too young to really understand it until you contrasted it to when Ronald Reagan came in. So that was my freshman year of high school. Within a year or two, you saw people like getting patriotic again oh, yeah, right? you know what i mean feeling oh, yeah. good i mean because carter at the end there we they iran had our hostages he was just and the day was at every turn to office yeah we, and reagan really really back. turned us around and, and i think we're we're coming to a point where people are are really ready for something like people that are again. tired of being told how to think and how to act and yeah. how to well, and every they, aspect of your life like i mean you can't do anything you have to think about what you say and how you say it and i can't say this and i can't do this and i can't I mean, it's it's insane. People yeah. are going to rebel against this, you know. One, you can see the crumbling of the what the woke culture is doing. I, I mean, you've probably read into some of the falls of civilizations when they get off track on the sexual mortality or mm-hmm. morality sure. piece, and then you, you now we're even confusing gender. It's like, well, we don't even stay on this earth if we're going to have two guys always together. We still we don't have babies that way. So people are just I think to to speak to what you're saying, you know, but it that's where the make or break also for American culture. 
Yeah. Well, they're asking it, us to believe history. They're asking us a, to believe make believe stuff. Like, yeah, even exactly. more than two guys together, they're trying to tell us, you know, hey, there's seventy something genders and well, seventy and genders, and that a guy can have yeah. even have a child now. Yeah. So people are just really got their eyebrows up and going, no, like, wait, uh, wait a second, you're the same person listen, telling me in, I should in, think in, like in this, and the, it doesn't work. In defense of the gay community, because it's a community that that I. I don't have a problem with it all. I, 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 friend, I have friends that are gay. I have friends that are very conservative, good, good patriotic people sure, that fought yeah, for yeah. this country who are, I wasn't pointing at you, you know, <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, who, who are gay and are fantastic yeah. patriots, you know, so I'm not going to speak out against them because I love those people. Um, but we're dealing with something completely different now. We're talking about, you know, mutilating kids because they decided one day, hey, I want to be a girl. I want to be a boy. I'm like, look, listen, and that's more you make, make, those, make those decisions yeah. when, when, you're, when you're older, make those kinds of choices when you're mature enough to make those kinds of decisions. But we have parents and what I call child abuse, you know, allowing their kids to do these kinds of things. And that's, that's an issue. Well, in a state trying to pull that decision. And when they're going parents. to school and they're being taught these things. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Even the homosexuality part, that doesn't, that shouldn't be being taught to kids as normal. That's up to the parents. If they want to teach that school should not be teaching that any of that sexuality stuff. Well, the thing, the thing is, is you're going to learn that in school anyway. I mean, every school has, like, I'm not going to name names, but we knew who the gay guy was in school. And it wasn't a problem. Like it was just like, you, you just know. So I don't think those are like, things that you learn in the classroom. You're going to learn them in school by being around other kids and other exactly. people anyway. Yeah. If, you know, school being a microcosm of society, you're going to, you're going to be exposed to those things on the playground, whether it's in the classroom or not. But I agree. It shouldn't be state sanctioned. It should be paid for to well, have that kind of education. Yeah. And it should be the family deciding, you know, so the state has stepped in to the arena of where the, the family sphere of authority and a lot of things. And so sure. that, that goes to answering your question, you know, can, can we return? And I, and I think we absolutely can. And it's what red, white and blueprint is doing, you know, number one, but then it's two. like, what are our families doing? So like, so we homeschool our kids mm -hmm. um, because I want to take personal responsibility for what my children learn. Sure. Now, I don't think everybody needs to, but even if you send your kids to public school, the parents are the main uh, authority for what the kids learn about America sure. or sexuality or anything. Um, so I think parents need to take personal responsibility for that. And this is what it comes down to, right? And, and I've said this before, and we've talked about this, how if we're going to ask for less government, if we're going to ask for less influence from these bureaucracies, then we need to step up and do our part as parents, as families, as leaders in our community, you know? Yeah, uh, churches, because it, it, it's, it's a two-way yeah, right. street, absolutely. Right. If churches were doing what they're supposed to be doing, we, uh, we, we wouldn't welfare. need, absolutely. You know, I, I think that's that's Yeah, it. so there's a great story from, from Revolutionary War era, um, and I was talking with Jeremy about this earlier today with, like, where are the churches on all this stuff with what you're doing and so uh i don't know if you guys have heard of the black robe regiment yeah you know, oh, absolutely but, we've talked about this yeah, yeah so so for your listeners who don't know so i mean a bunch of the clergymen back then they all wore black robes mm -hmm. had nothing to do with what ethnicity they were they just wore black robes in the mm -hmm. pulpit and john peter muhlenberg and a bunch mm -hmm. of these other guys mm -hmm. you know they would they would rip off their yeah. uh black robes and have like a continental uniform on yeah. underneath and then they would lead their church you know militia out mm -hmm. to fight the redcoats yeah and they would preach patriotic sermons. Sure. You know, they would really enter into this arena. And, you know, so all of our, our institutions of the family and the church have become subservient to the institution of the government. Yeah. And it's not supposed to be that way. Sure. So yeah. it's, it's, it's upside down on its head. Yeah. So if we can flip it, which is what, you know, Red, White, and Blueprint is doing it, because, of course, our rights are not, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here, you guys know all this stuff, but our rights are not derived from the government. Our rights are derived from God. That's what the you know, Declaration of Independence says. Our unalienable rights, sure. life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, that is from God. Mm -hmm. And then the government's duty is to protect those rights, not to give or take them away. 
Um, so, so we have it flipped on our head, but I just love what's going on, you know, here in Shasta County because you guys really are doing it. Um, so yeah, you're, well, thank you, know, you when you're saying, can it be done? You know, I'm like, yeah, yeah. you're doing it. Sure. Sure. <laughs> no, and, and I appreciate you saying that. Sometimes when we're in the middle, we, we've yeah. been entrenched in this battle for what, 18 months now, you know, if yeah. not longer. And so it's hard to see the forest for the trees sometimes. Sure. You know? Uh, and, and to see that this is making an impact beyond where we're at, beyond Shasta County, it's pretty cool. Anytime that we get to talk to people from other counties, from other states, who say, hey, we like what you're doing. We, how do we do the same thing? You know, that that's empowering. That's inspiring for us because mm-hmm. um, this is a tough fight, man. I mean, this is a tough, tough deal, you know? Absolutely. And you're up against a real dragon every yep. single day. Yep. I mean, you're, you're trying to slay dragons every day, you know? Yep. And you slay one, another one comes up, you know, it's yep. whack-a-mole, yep. <laughs> you know, over and over again. <laughs> now, it really is, you know? Um, or you but, let but, them just do their scene, thing and they implode. They do a pretty good job of <laughs> destroying themselves, but to see what you're doing is really refreshing. I mean, this is awesome stuff because that is a population, the veteran population is you know, a population that we have a history of uh, heroizing, if that's a word, but we also have a history of ignoring them as well, you know, because right. I think sometimes veterans are seen as heroes. We figure, oh, well, they can take care of themselves. Right. You know, they're these superheroes that that, that have no, no no faults, that have no uh, no obstacles to overcome on their own personally, you know, but, but indeed they do. You know? Yeah. No, that's a great point. I'll make a confession here. You know, when I was really young and my dad, like I said, was working in New York City and I would go in there at, you know, age 15, 16 and I would see like all these homeless veterans and I judged them, yeah. you know, as a young man, I'd be yeah. like, well, you were in the military, like pull yeah. yourself up yeah. by your bootstraps, sure. you know? But now that I'm like on the other side of it and I'm a disabled veteran mm-hmm. and like being mistreated and then I'm like not healthy enough to consistently work, you know, I go sure. when I can, sure. making $20,000 a year off sure. of VA pension. It's not sure. enough to raise a family of four, yeah. not VA pension, VA disability sure. payments. Yeah. I'm like, wow, okay, I understand why those guys mm-hmm. can end up on the street. You yeah. know, like we need to do better for them. Um, so you're exactly right. So like I said, Arc of Justice, preventative medicine, you know, trying to like alleviate the 22 per day of suicides and the homeless veterans epidemic. Um, and we are, I know we're almost out of time here, so we are very close. So can I just say two things that we need help yeah, with? Yeah, no, we can go over. I mean, this is okay. some stuff. Go ahead. Um, so our Wounded Warrior Bill of Rights is like on the one yard line. That's mm-hmm. the analogy I've been using. House Resolution 6043. You can follow it on congress.gov, mm-hmm. HR 6043. I would just ask that your listeners would contact their congressmen and senators. And it takes like two minutes. Just mm-hmm. Google them and say, I support the Wounded Warrior Bill of Rights. I want you to become a co-sponsor, and I'm hoping for like a groundswell movement so we get HR no friction. six zero four three. Yes. Can okay. you hear that, Doug LaMalfa? Yep. You get it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then the other thing is we're tax deductible right off to, you know, organizations. So if you want to make a donation, every little bit helps. So I can hire some other staffers to really Absolutely. push this across the finish line. And when's, uh, re- refresh my memory, when's that being voted on? So it will be probably most likely decided like sometime before the 4th of July. Like okay. the House and the Senate have what's called their like initial wish list. Mm-hmm. Um, and Senator Rick Scott from Florida, Congressman Brian Mass from Florida, Congresswoman Kathy McGorse Rogers from Washington, they are our co-sponsors. And so if we can get it into the first draft of the National Defense Authorization Act before July 4th, 
will be sitting pretty. It can still happen right up till the end of this year because mm-hmm. NDAA is never done until like right before Christmas. No. But it's harder to get it in as an amendment after July 4th than into like the mm-hmm. initial. The initial. So like it's like go time right now. And it, so it, that process is the the voting on a bunch of stuff for national it, defense. It, it, it's it, everything. Exactly. So it's it's like called like a member's interest list that actually starts on August or excuse me, April 8th up until the 4th of July. And then if they all agree, like, okay, this is in the NDAA, mm-hmm. then it's in the omnibus bill, and it's hard to take it out. But after July 4th, it's almost impossible to so get it out. So if you have more, like, endorsements from, do you uh, need more congressmen? We, we do, like, the more the merrier, because yeah. then it's, like, hard to fight it. Is right. there bipartisan support for this? Or so, so it was bipartisan, like, back in 2020. Yeah. I had passed a precursor legislation. Mm-hmm. Tulsi Gabbard from Hawaii yeah. was our Democrat. We had a couple other Democrats, sure. but... Unfortunately, since July 6th, or not July 6th, well, January 6th, so, Tulsi's yeah. out. Yeah. Um, and since January 6th, like Democrats and Republicans do not play well in the sandbox yeah. together. Yeah. Now, Democrats support this philosophically, yeah. but Brian Mast is a wounded warrior. Uh, he's also like a flamethrower. Like he's mm-hmm. always like saying mm-hmm. stuff against Pelosi, yeah. tweeting. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, that's fine. You, know, you can do yeah. that. But then that does hurt us because then Democrats don't want to play sure. nice, you know. Yeah. So, but. I'm hoping all it takes is one on the House Armed Services Committee and the Senate Armed Services Committee, one Democrat on each. And if they just become a co-sponsor, then we can get it through. Now, if it doesn't this year, then we'll just go to next year. I, I feel going. like Tulsi would be a great ally even out of Congress. Yeah, you know? so so actually, I'm, I'm writing a book. We'll probably talk in the next podcast sure. about the book I'm writing for RWB. So I'm writing like a little mini memoir call to action for mm-hmm. Arc of Justice and putting that to the side sure. to do RWB's book. But I've asked her to write the foreword to, yeah. to my book because she's just been a huge part she's of our fantastic, story. You know? She's awesome. Yeah, yeah. She hasn't said yes yet, but Tulsi, if you're listening, Come on, just say yes. I will, I, 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 I will admit, I almost registered as a Democrat just so I could vote for her. I, I, I like her that much. Yeah, she, she's great. Yeah. Um, and I have, a, like, real quick, I have a great story about her. And so um, I needed Democrat support back in 2020. Mm-hmm. Couldn't get any. So I went to her office several times. She's running for president, super busy. So providentially, I'm on a plane from D.C. back to South Carolina where I live because mm-hmm. she was going for the South Carolina Democratic primaries. Sure on the same plane, it gets in at midnight. Yeah. So she's got like, you know, some people protecting her. I'm like, this is my one chance. So I hide behind yeah. like yeah. a baggage thing and let everybody <laughs> else clear out. I walk, use Sear school training, get in their blind spots, yeah. walk right up yeah. to her. Yeah. Guys, she gives me 10 minutes of her time. Yeah. She listens. And then to make a long story short, she becomes a co-sponsor That's for our fantastic. initial legislation and That's lets cool. me shoot awesome. a video with her. That's cool. Unbelievable. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. She's great American. Yeah. 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 So That's very cool. Well, guys, thank you. Thank you, Will. Good Thank stuff. Look forward to the next segment. Make sure to go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Facebook, YouTube. Rumble. Um, Rumble. Rumble. Uh, mountaintopmedia.com is the mothership. It's got everything there. Make sure you share it. Um, anyways, just thanks for listening. and A lot of good stuff. Heck yeah. yeah. Thanks, thanks Will. Thanks, Appreciate guys. Appreciate you, brother. Yeah. Yep. Good to be here.